Welcome back to another episode, our last episode of the 2020 year uh, of the Weekly Driver Podcast. I'm James Rea. I write an automotive column for Bay Area News Group, which is the San Jose Mercury and the East Bay Times. And I publish and edit the website, theweeklydriver.com. Bruce Aldrich is here, my co-host and friend. We're in his backyard on our the last COVID social distancing podcast of the year. It's cold, but Good we're morning, here. James. Yes, it's very cold. You have your uh, um, nice uh, North Face jacket on and a ski cap, and I've got no hat, but I've got a nice jacket on, and we're have some coffee, but it's cold for us. Yep. Balmy for other parts of the country, but pretty cold for us. Sun's out. Sun's out. That's good. What we're going to do on this episode, the last of the year, is I've gone back and Bruce has gone back and we found 10 or 11, a dozen stories this year um, that had a big impact on the automotive industry. And uh, we interviewed a lot of people about the issues in the automotive industry. We've reviewed cars. There's always a lot going on. All of it was, uh, I guess, made worse or changed on some level with uh, the coronavirus. So what we thought we would do in this episode is just go back and look at some of the issues that we found and, and what the impact is, what our thoughts are on uh, the world of the automobile, and, and hopefully, in a lot of areas, hope that 2021 is a better year for the automotive industry and for every industry and for the health and well-being of all of us. But for now, we're going to take a look back at um, 2020. And um, Bruce, you want to go with uh, the first one and get it going? Yeah, I think we'll look at airbags first. Yes, sure. Those things are hurting people. That's right. Actually killing them. We spoke to a guy, uh, Jerry Cox, who wrote a book called Killer Airbags. Yes, what a a title, huh? Yeah, and uh, he filled us in on the scoop on airbags, and apparently everything from a company called Takata, which is now bankrupt. Yes. They're all dangerous. Yes. And what they did was they used ammonium nitrate in their explosive charges. And apparently ammonium nitrate is not an ideal explosive because when moisture and heat and over time get involved with that with that material, it causes a bigger explosion than when it was new and what it's designed for, causing uh, shrapnel from the can that it's placed in to blow out into the passengers. Not a good thing. Never, never a good thing. So this story was um, from late November, and uh, at this point, uh, General Motors announced it will call recall 7 million pickup trucks and SUVs worldwide to replace the potentially dangerous uh, bag inflators made by the Japanese company. Uh, Six million of the vehicles were located in the United States, and they were models of SUVs and pickup trucks from 2007 to 2014. Everybody thought this was probably going to go away, and and this story claimed it's the end of the issue, finally, but I'm still... It started with Honda, I believe. Yes. They were the ones that had like 7 million cars, and that's when the first recall started. But I know my Subaru was recalled. Yes. GMs, uh, many, most of the manufacturers have used the Takata airbag. Right. And uh, it's a problem. Yeah, the, it's the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration, of course, that we quote a lot. And, uh, you know, it's the watchdog on all this stuff. And it, it'll it recall, um, it'll cost an estimated $1.2 billion 
the total the total that GM is going to um, swallow is about one third of its net income for the year. So um, I'm just going to say it serves you right. I mean, if you if you don't if you're putting in crappy airbags, you deserve to get. Well, apparently, what they're at least the manufacturers are saying is Takata faked the yes the testing yes. and made it look like they were it was just as safe as some of the other products, the other manufacturers uh, of airbags. So. Takata was was really playing dirty. Really playing dirty. They're and, the and ones that uh, that snookered everyone, and they're out of business. And I don't know if there, there were any criminal charges. I have, I didn't wasn't. I hadn't a, heard that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't Those know. Those guys over there, don't they do Harry Carey? <laughs> they do. When the pressure's on. Why am I thinking about John Belushi for so? You know, it's Saturday Night Live. Um, but the, but uh, this uh, Jerry Cox, the, yes. the killer airbags. Uh, um, the guy who wrote the book, he also blamed the federal government for dragging their feet and covering up. Yes, he and did. not doing what they should be. What a great guess that guy was. I think, did he mention there were, he felt that there were 12 million cars still on the road with faulty airbags? Is That's that, what he said, yeah, yes. 12 million, so. That's it, our podcast number 145. Yes. He considered, why, why, we asked him, why did you write the book? He said it was his moral obligation. That's right. It was a great. But, but this guy was a consultant to the manufacturers yes. back in the day. He's yes. an attorney. Uh, he's not just some crackpot. No. He, he was involved with all this. In fact, he was, apparently was on some of the um, senator uh, advisory boards back in the, when was it, back before, you know, back in the early 70s. Yes. That actually. He fought four airbags. Yes. He was the one that helped yes. get them installed in the cars in the first place. He doesn't have an axe to grind. He's just no. a guy who wanted everything done right. And uh, he was a very, no, I hope that book did well. But it had the greatest title of any book I've heard in the recent years, Killer Airbags. It kind of brings you into the book, doesn't it? He was on Senate subcommittees. That's what I was That's right. looking for. And he also worked on the... Uh, Back in the day for the Firestone 500 tires that were supposed to right. blowing right. up. That's right. Good memory, and, Bruce. Yeah. So, so this guy's knowledgeable, and uh, he says, watch out for those airbags. And he says, you should park the car. If you listen to this guy, I mean, right. you don't even drive anymore. You don't anymore. drive anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to take it that far. I, I had my Subaru in twice. Did you? Yeah. Well, They have, repaired well, them once, <clears throat> and apparently they didn't have a fix. They just put the same style old ones back in, apparently. Oh, that was good. And then... And then, so now I got another set. I don't know what they are. We'll have a gentleman's bet that you, you won't take the bet because you feel about it the same way I do. I bet you in 2021, somewhere in the early in the new year, we're going to hear about another recall, right? They, they, even though they claim this is the end oh, of it. Oh, on the airbags. Yeah. 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 They'll have another I recall. Think, I'm not even sure if they stopped installing ammonium nitrate inflators. I oh. think they did. So okay. finally the problem is going to start going away. Okay. But obviously, in your older, you know, 2000 or 1997, I think it was about the first cars I saw. Takata? Takata, yeah. You, yeah, Takata. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Okay, uh, on a positive note, uh, not that people are, uh, there's any deaths involved in our next one. It's a real positive for the year. We talked about it a few times already, but. In November, uh, we had a chance to drive and review the mid-engine Corvette C8, and uh, it came out earlier than that, but it was the first time that you and I and friends and strangers along the street saw it, and um, boy, we, uh, we had to have a love affair with that car, and it, it uh, Corvette had talked about it for you know ever and ever doing it, and people were against it, purists, but 
what more can we say? It's the it's the best car of the year, and maybe it's the best car in five years. I don't know, but it's a, it's a real beauty, and we saw no downside. You're buying a supercar for seventy five thousand dollars, and what more can you say? It's the, the best. Yeah, we loved it, right? I mean, the looks. You, yeah, you, you drool. Pretty at least much. I did. Pretty much. You can look at it from any angle and and not get tired of looking at it. Nope. Um, Ours was in bright red, right? So yeah, <laughs> it looked good. It looks like an European exotic for this one. Uh, the one that we had it was seventy-eight thousand dollars. Yes, seventy-eight thousand. So it had a few things on it, but uh, four hundred ninety-five horsepower. Motors in the back. It's no louder than the C7. It was quiet. Yes. It uh, Space, hand, you could, you handled could, well. Yeah, yeah handled uh, well. You didn't feel cramped in it. The view out the front and sides were was fantastic. Yeah. And uh, it seemed like it could be just a daily driver. The transmission, it's that dual-clutch transmission, worked, seemed to be flawlessly. We weren't out track testing it, of course, but uh, it sure it worked really well on the street. It just purred around like a kitten. And Are there any you other? put your foot in it, it took off like a, oh, yeah. like a dog. The 2.7, 2.8, 0 to 60, something like that? I think, yeah, just under three seconds. Just under three seconds. Is there another supercar that you can think of that could be a daily driver? I don't know of any. The Porsche lineup. The Porsche line. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, but they cost considerably more. Right. And they're not going to be, they're going to be stiffer ride. They're going to be noisier. Yes. The only thing we didn't do, you know, reading through some notes, the only thing we didn't do was we didn't take the top off. It would have been nice to see how that fit in the back compartment and what they did with the space and how that worked. We should have we should have taken that top off to see what it was like. But we didn't. But we got a good feel for the car and it was three hundred and sixty six pounds heavier than the model it replaced, though. That I can't get over. Yeah. It I don't know where they put that three hundred and sixty six pounds. I, I but anyway, it didn't feel like a overweight pig. No, four uh four hundred and ninety five horsepower, right? Yep. And uh, Ameri- well, I guess I guess you could still call it America's sports car, but now it's America's mid-engine sports car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that was number nine on our list, or another thing that happened um, late this year. And number eight, Bruce, you have a lot more knowledge on this than I do. You read an updated story, but I had put down, um, made a note of the Shelby supercar that gets the non-record in record time. And, um, you know, they, they found some reasons to, to be suspicious about the new uh, fastest car. And they had it clocked at 316.11 miles per hour. It's the fastest production and, car. And, yes. And that's the a flying mile. That's right. So top the Tutara. Speed. The Tutara, yeah. Correct, yeah. It's, it has to be on street tires, non-race fuel, production car. Now, they, ra- they uh, did the testing on Highway 160 out of Pahrump, Nevada. And I guess that's a popular road. Yes, I've been um, on that road. Straight as an arrow for, yes. forever. Oh, yes. Boy, that's a lonely. It's a four-lane divided highway, so right. it's, it's good for road testing. Yes. Um, anyway, oh, Shelby is not to be confused with Carroll Shelby and his. Yes. This guy just happened to have the same name. The that's C, correct. The CEO just happened to have the same name, but uh-huh. it's SSC Tatara. Anyway, they got a, a two-way run and an average 316 miles an hour, and then within days— uh, people on the internet said, "Hey, these numbers don't add up," and the whole thing was had a big cloud over it. Did Correct. It, did it really get the top speed record, or didn't it? 
Well, I was looking at their website, and the, a press release dated uh, October 26th of this year uh-huh. said that it is confirmed. Apparently, they have a electronics package on it from, uh, it's called Dutron. Yes. Is the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dutron looked over the numbers and said, nope, you, you got it. You got it. Okay. So That's a good update to that. So if you're into these hyper supercars and top speeds, a number that you're interested in, um, the Tatara has it. I 316 think, miles an hour. I was just going to say. car, you can just say, hey, give me the keys. Here's my... How much was that thing? Oh gosh, oh, probably over a million dollars. Over a million dollars. I was going to just make a you know a comparison of. Uh, I know that you uh, took your wife uh, for a, a present one time, and she drove 150 miles an hour on a racetrack, right, right. Riverside. Yeah. And I can only remember being at, at uh, in Europe and driving, 100 maybe 120 at one point on some of the open roads in a BMW I had one year at, at the Tour de France, but. That was frightening to me at 120. I was a little scared, which, you know, I shouldn't have been, but I don't drive that fast. 120 is is nothing. What would it be like to be 311 miles an hour? I don't know. Do they have any, I guess that you have any fear. It's like nothing unless you stop suddenly. That's right. So <laughs> I can't imagine what that feeling must be like to those guys who would be in that car or the different people who, what are they, what are they, what's the straightaway at the Indy 500 is like 210, something like that on a straightaway? 225? Well, I think, yeah, they're hitting in the 220s. 220s that, now? That's an average for the whole, for the whole track, two yes. and a half miles. So yes. they're probably, yeah, I don't know how fast they're actually going on the straightaway. But not 316, not, not 311. Not, 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 three, not 316. Not 316. It was actually, what, three, 301 and a 331 or something was the yeah. speeds. Yeah, it got up to 331, so unbelievable. So uh, other fast cars are the... Uh, the former top of the list was the Hennessy Venom at yes. 200, uh, slow 270 miles oh, an hour. Oh, just pedestrian, nothing. Yeah, and then the Bugatti mm. Varian SS, yes. 268. And then below that was another SSC car. It was called the Ultimate Arrow, and that was just 256 miles an hour average. I bet you there's some guys, if not today, then after the first of the year, who are saying, oh, we got to get the record back, we got to get the record back. I'm sure they're working on it all the time. I would think, yeah. yeah. If Bugatti loves to have the record. I know Bugatti's all over that, so they'll they'll try to get it back, um, and there'll be people watching them pretty carefully. I kind of imagine uh, next time around. <clears throat> so, what's the next one? Schumacher. Schumacher. Well, we all know, uh, you know, Michael Schumacher, the great, maybe maybe the greatest driver ever. I don't know if Formula One champion um, who was in a ski accident in 2013. And every once in a while, I like to go in and see if there's updates, if um, doctors visit him, if he's been moved, if his family's noticed anything about him, if there's a, some remote chance that, you know, he'll, he won't be in a coma anymore. But in September, um, a neurosurgeon was interviewed on a French television station, TMC, not TMZ, but TMC. And uh, the assessment of this neurosurgeon was that Schumacher is in a vegetative state and has a minimal possibility of returning to any normalcy of, of life. Uh, and just, you mentioned earlier before the podcast of this guy has been in accidents and he's done things that would, I mean, he should if, if he should have been killed or if he should have suffered an accident like this, it should have been on a racetrack, not while he's skiing. Seven and world tire, he, titles, titles. Yes. And he retires from all that. Yes. He makes it through that. Yes. And goes skiing and hits his head on a rock. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I, uh, and I, I, I don't know much about Michael Schumacher, maybe, but, but, but from everything I've ever read, he was just, he, he is, I guess you have to say he is a, a, a guy who was, you know, maybe the most famous, um, one of the most famous drivers ever up there with, you know, Andretti's and, and Sterling Moss and other names in different kinds of, um, racing, Roger Penske and, and, uh, others, um, but he was the nice guy. He was he wasn't on the track, badass. But as a human being, he was a prince. Yep, he was a good guy. A good guy, and uh, he had that just that infectious smile. Every time you saw him, he had that great smile. Uh, and I guess if there's a legacy, his son uh, is doing great. And you mentioned that his son took a car, the car that he took last one of his father's yeah latest Formula One cars. Yeah, and one latest I say back in 2012 or so. Yeah. And did a lap, or, or did he win a race in it? I forgot. He just did a lap. Just did a lap, okay. But it was uh, special to all the racing fans. Oh, I imagine all. it was, yeah. So um, his son is very skilled driver in his own right, and he hasn't won a world championship yet, I don't think, but maybe no. he will. He might. He might. So, um, you know, we every, like everybody else, we can hope that maybe, you know, Michael Schumacher will wake up and uh, – Tell us what it was like. Right. Or, <laughs> he couldn't do it in 2021. No. The, uh, it was a little bad year, maybe. Yeah, maybe, in 2020, yeah. Or, yeah, maybe the next next year he'll, next year. he'll wake up. Uh, so uh, then we go into September, mid-September. Um, Ford, everybody's kind of been waiting for this too, but Ford announced its first uh, EV truck, and you have some knowledge on that. That Do you think it's going to be a big deal, and, and what's that all about? I think it's pretty interesting. I can't find any information on it. I guess Ford's staying pretty mum, but I do understand they partnered with uh, Rivian. Yes. And Rivian is oh boy. kind of at the forefront of electric trucks. Yes. They got a whole bunch of money from Amazon. Yes. And they got a, now a bunch of money from Ford. And they're obviously going to collaborate and use some of Rivian's technology in the Ford and vice versa. Yes. So... If anybody's not familiar with Rivian, that has been around what about at least two or three years now on yeah, the, we first on the saw show it. circuits. Yeah, yeah, but they're supposed to start delivering cars this year. This we'll year, see. COVID messed it up a little bit, of course, but uh, that wasn't quite you know skip a heartbeat. But it was when you saw the those the it's SUV truck, and that truck was just oh my gosh! I remember I got scolded. Um, at the auto show, uh, when we first saw it, I got a little close and I think I might've put my hand, the door was open on the truck and it has that wood interior. And the guy, guy said, no, 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 no. He, he shooed me away real fast. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> People he, with press passes, they yeah, gotta be shooed away. They gotta be shooed away. The guy was about 10, you know, he looked real young and I mean, he had a smile on his face, but he, he got me away from that truck pretty quick. So that'll be really interesting to see, you know, if the, if the, Ford EV and the Rivian, you know, and of course, Mr. Musk is in there with his new spaceship that looked a truck that looks like a spaceship. Uh, what what that that's all about. So it's going to be a a good year to see where EV trucks come along, you know, with uh, whether it's in the stock market or whether people buy them or the actual price point. It's going to be pretty interesting to see how that all develops in 21. Well, they said they were gonna. The release date is scheduled for 2023. Oh, it is. And they were thinking around a seventy thousand dollar price point. So it's not going to be cheap. No. Um, one of the things I saw was interesting. Uh, 
Apparently Ford owns a patent on what they call a range extender, which oh. is a, a, ga a fossil fuel motor that yes. sits in the back of the truck. Uh, look like a, like a utility uh, uh, tool, tool trunk. Yes. And that thing can make power. Fantastic. Right? So if you're on the job or something all day or you're out of juice, what have you, yep. this thing will be able to supply a little bit, at least to get home. I thought that was kind of a clever idea. Oh, it's, my gosh, yes. It's kind of like a hybrid backwards where mostly it's electric with just a tiny bit of yeah. ability to produce power. Maybe they could have one of those solar uh, solar covers, too, and get some power that way. Remember we talked? Yeah, that, that would help. But mostly if you're it's a work truck, you need to yes. work it. You, you, that'd be in the way, I guess. I guess that's true. And then the... the, the um, Another thing about those that they claim a 400-mile range on that truck and with speed that matches a Tesla. And um, the chassis, the, the way the car looks, has that pass-through, which, what an innovative idea. On the side of the truck, you can open up the little door and there's a little seat. And then you put the seat in and you could put your skis, your golf clubs, your groceries in kind yeah. of a hidden tunnel in the middle of the car, in the middle of the truck. I think it was Rivian, is it... Do you, if you know, James, um, oh. it has a, a motor at each wheel. That might have been the Berlinger, but maybe that's Rivian. I'm, I'm kind of thinking it was a Rivian, okay. and it can do what they call uh, tank mode, because you can turn two wheels backwards and two wheels forward, so yes. it'll pivot on its own. Pivot on axe. its own. Uh, that would be interesting. <laughs> i got to see that one of these days. Um, also... Uh, Going on, uh, also in September, the L.A. Auto Show was postponed. And, you know, in the big world of things, it's not that important. But it is important in the automotive industry. It's the last show of the year, but it's really the first show of the, the this automotive season. And it was canceled, of course, because of the coronavirus and rescheduled for May. May may not happen. Who knows? We don't. Nobody knows, really. But it was a big deal to, to miss because we love going and so do all the other journalists and the public. It's 10 days and it's, hey, if you're into cars, uh, it's great. If you're not into cars, it's still great. You go see cars you want and um, it's just a, a great experience to go to L.A. and see all that stuff that we missed. So we'll see what happens um, next spring. It's a fun show. I, I think they, I think they're just being optimistic. Yeah. When you look on their website, mm -hmm. no no tickets are available yet. Yes. And they didn't have any COVID protocol, anything on there. So I think they were hoping that, that maybe the uh, vaccine would get out there yes. and be all be behind us by then. And maybe it will. Let's yeah. hope. But so, uh, it's not looking like it. Yeah, we go. We, we uh, won't provide any details, but we've had some fun times um, during the show. And after hours, we've had some some, some pretty wild experiences that were it was all good but um yeah we do some work but we have a good time at the same time so it's always a fun they know how to party down there they know how to party we'll leave it at that for those of us who don't really party but once a year maybe we do that uh so then bruce i'm scrolling down here to my notes we um ferrari pricing oh ferrari uh my gosh used ferraris we're talking talking used ferraris again uh no live uh shows um at Monterey Auto Week, but this was online and set a record, two Ferraris. Um, the auto auction houses are now online only. Online only, and uh, I don't think I could ever say um, or put into one sentence that a Ferrari would cost $3.08 million, but 
somebody bought this one. And uh, Bruce, you tell me about that. It was a 66 275 GTB. Yes. But it was a, what they call a long nose. So yes. I think they said they made 40 of these cars. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it's, it was a sort of a beige uh, white color, mm -hmm. a real light tanny white color. Yes. Nothing didn't look exotic or fancy. No, it didn't, but, did it? But it apparently uh, it's highly sought after for some from somebody. Yeah, it said uh, the coupe was um, more exclusive as one of the 40, as you just said, factory-equipped models with an improved torque tube drive shaft and the optional high-performance six-carburetor intake. Um, it's a little techy for me, but I'm sure people who know the car know exactly what that's all about and why that was so important. Uh, tan leather interior. It's one of the final two cam, two cam 275 GBTs ever built. So... Thus, I say good riddance. I mean, yeah, <laughs> think yeah. about modern technology and that, that car. Yeah. That thing is uh, it's pretty old, but, you know, three, hey. Three million, it's, baby. It's, three million. It's a nice-looking car. Yeah. Somebody who has a pocket change of three million. Should be red, though, right? Should be red, yeah. Should be Ferrari red. Um, along the same line of thinking, um, at the same time frame, there was um, an auction that backfired because of the, the way that the opening price was presented and it was a, a 53 million dollar error and i don't know how that all squared away but it was uh, august 17th during monterey auto week uh that began the bidding on a 1939 porsche type 64 was heard at 30 million the starting bid for the one-of-a-kind vehicle was actually 13 million dollars uh and it looks like a spaceship it was only three one of three cars were built uh, and the prototype for auction is the only that was the only survivor. The monitors in the in the room showed the bid at 30 million. It quickly escalated to 40, 50, 60, and 70 million dollars. And um, if Porsche had sold the car for that amount, it would have been 20 million more than the record price ever paid for a car at auction. That that that. that. So anyway, it was a it was a, the the guy got in trouble. Let's put it that way. It was like, I guess it was a pre-Porsche, right? Yes. Like the first Porsche before Porsche? Uh-huh. Something like that. Ugly little car. Ugly car. And it was, a, like I said, a Type 64. It was constructed with uh, used VW, VW Beetle parts. It had an air-cooled air -cooled, pardon me, flat four engine and was built to compete in the Berlin Rome to Rome road race. The event was a celebration of Nazi Germany's alliance with fascist Italy, fascist Italy. So it had some prominence for all the wrong reasons, but yeah, they they cleared it all up, and uh, I don't think the auctioneer um, works anymore at that. Probably <laughs> in, not um, in Monterey. But I wonder when that they'll put that thing back up, or did they already privately sell it somewhere? Um, let's see. Probably went to the high bidder or something. They might have contacted him later. I should have got the update on that, but I didn't. But it it, it created a stink for about a week in oh, the yeah. on the automotive auction world of how they could make such a mistake, and it was all explained finally. And and I think I might have posted an update, but I just didn't pr you know print it out for our for our episode. But what a, what an interesting story that was. Oh yeah, because they ballyhooed that thing for a month. Yes. Before it went on the block. Oh yeah, yeah. They they uh, built it up, but it was going to go for about thirty million, not. 70 million whatever it was yeah. um which is you know crazy money um what's the deal on genesis okay genesis well you and i and many others have been touting genesis for a few years now 
and there are some people who still don't know what it is. Um, the general public's finally coming around to it. Uh, it's the luxury lineup now on its own that broke away from Hyundai because there was a Hyundai Genesis. We've been touting Hyundai. We've been touting and Hyundai. When it broke away, even yes. Genesis even more. Yeah. We saw that big banner in front of the LA Auto Show that the uh, G70 was car of the year. And um, lo and behold, in, in February of this year, um, J.D. Power um, rated it um, in its dependability study. It went shot right past Lexus. And, um, you know, who would have thunk that a car that some people or many people still don't know about, un unaware of it, is now uh, on the top of that list with dependability. That, that's a pretty good thing to knock off Lexus, isn't I, it? I would say, yeah. Um, there were some criteria that you had to have at least three cars available in your lineup. So the the Genesis had the 70 and 80 or the 80 and 90 and not the other one. So now they have, then they had three and now they have four and they're soon to have a fifth car uh, in the Genesis lineup. So um, I can't think any, any downside to Genesis. They're comparable. Great warranty. Great warranty, comparable to a Mercedes in terms of plushness and, and the way that they're built. And it's just the real deal car that no wonder it's getting all these awards, right? Yeah, it's if you don't mind uh, not having a pointed star or a kidney on your grill, right? These cars are great. Yeah, but that, you know they are. I, I understand if if you're in that uh, buying a luxury car and you want yes. want to be seen, whatever you're showing up at the club and you hop out of a Hyundai or a Genesis in this case, it's like it's not the same as hopping out of a no Mercedes or BMW. It's got but, the but panache you, of those other brands. It's so true, but I you can have it. that. You can have that. I know something you don't know. Smile on your face to your friends, right? And maybe they'll be one over. Um, but the maybe you can afford to go to those clubs with the money you save. That's correct. Well said, Bruce. But if I was going to be in the market for a, a sedan, you know, cr nice cruising sedan, I think I would go right to Genesis. And if I had the money, I couldn't think of anything else I'd want more than that. Like you said, with that warranty and and how wonderful they're built, and it's a, it's a real deal car. Yeah, maybe it's it's important where the dealership is. If you live around the corner from the Genesis dealer, you're, you don't have a problem with it, and you got to drive 80 miles to the BMW shop, you know, you'll get the Genesis. Yeah. But if it's the other way around, you're not going to go out of your way for the Genesis. No, if I think if I remember this correctly, and it's been six months since I saw this, but they were still um, honoring uh, all of the things about when it was the Hyundai, you can still take your Genesis to a Hyundai dealership, but now they're going to, um, in small numbers, break off and have their own dealerships. Service shops. And, you know, and service shops and dealerships are sporadic, but they'll be more uh, prominent when there's more in the lineup. But now you go to you can get them at a Honda dealership and or Hyundai dealership, and then you get them online too. So um, we'll see how that how they online develop online as well, huh? Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, that's that, and uh, then I think we're going to, oh, just to list, um, in, in what J.D. Power said, Genesis had 89 problems, which was the fewest, uh, as J.D. Power does this, 89, um, and then it was Lexus. Hopefully at, that's a score of 89, not, yeah. not 89 problems. 89 problems out of out of a, out of a thousand vehicles. Oh, it is, yeah, out, of a, yeah, out of a thousand vehicles. Yeah, I okay. think so. And uh, Lexus is 100, Buick, surprising Buick at 103, Porsche 104, Toyota 113, Volkswagen 116, Lincoln 119, 
uh, BMW, Chevrolet, and Ford uh, kind of rounded out the top 10. Why is Buick so high? I don't know. Buick. I think you're so disgusted with a car you don't even bother to report. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You just park it. <laughs> oh, man, Bruce, that's cold. I don't think you went over any Buick friends. <laughs> so we're, And then we kind of end um, going back to where we started uh, in early January, my wife's birthday, the 22nd. Um, six million Honda and Toyota models were recalled. Once again, the uh, airbag situation began early in the year and it yep. <laughs> it was still there at the, at the at the end of the year in this case it was um 3.4 vehicle 3.4 million a big pardon vehicles worldwide uh honda is, was recalling 2.7 and uh the rest of them were uh toyota was uh, acura i mean all kinds of different makes and models through the years and uh, there was a there was a paragraph that i thought that the numbers were staggering uh, it the Toyota problem is part of a larger issue. It could involve the recall of 12.3 million vehicles from six automakers. Wow. That's a big problem. That is a huge problem. Uh, I think what's happening on the recalls apparently is the the government doesn't look at a single part that's wrong. They're looking at problems. So if Toyota has a problem with an airbag that's made by XYZ. And they recall them. They don't then go, okay, there's five other manufacturers using that same part, mm -hmm. and let's recall them too. They just wait until there is a death or 10 or however many it takes. <laughs> yeah, what a and way then, to approach oh, things. And yeah. then we'll recall that particular dealer's cars. Right. That must be how they're doing it. So that's, yeah, you'd call that a foot dragging. Or, or yeah, foot dragging. Or maybe it's not a death. Maybe it's just... Um <laughs> Severe uh, uh, yeah. maiming, huh? Maiming, or there's an accident, and they they do an insurance look at the car and say, "What's up with these airbags?" There's all this trouble in the how the airbag, um, what do you call that? Not exploded, but it, how it opened, and maybe they yeah, find the explosive charge that opened. Yeah, it yeah, maybe they the find bag. out. Yeah. Maybe they find out that way in non-fatality ways too. But or somebody reports it, then um, they get 20 responses from the public. I'm not quite sure how it works. But it takes time. It takes time. So I guess um, you had one more that you wanted to talk about. Odometer fraud. Odometer fraud, please. That hasn't been on my radar for 40 years. Right. I, I didn't know people were running, uh, putting new numbers up there on the odometer reading. I didn't know. I never thought about it. I thought when they went electronic, that was the end of the problem. You know, yes. Back in the day, the mechanical ones... They're relatively easy. It's time-consuming taking the dash apart or whatever to get the uh, the bezel out to change the numbers. But I thought when they went electronic, they were done. They were done. You found out otherwise. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, okay, what if your odometer breaks or what have you and mm -hmm. you want to install a new one? Well, that's not – I think you're – they might have a – back in the day, they had a little sticker that says, this odometer has been changed, and you're supposed to put that on there. Yes. Yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> but that doesn't work that well, you know, in today's modern cars and all the electronic updates, and when you have to do your oil change, everything is all on the computer now. So you, you, you really want that odometer reading to be the same. And so to do that, you have to have tools. Bingo. If you got tools to reset <laughs> you that You can thing, do anything, yeah then you can do it for nefarious reasons too. Right. So they have uh they have mileage blockers that you can you can buy. Mhm. Mm that so the car doesn't record uh 
mileage. So that's okay. one way. But they also make uh, reset tools. Or not reset. Well, they call them uh, correction tools. Excuse oh, me. Oh, what a nice term. Yeah. Correction tools. They're correction tools. So you can set that odometer anything you want. I, I was looking online. Uh, the cheapest one I saw was $219. So if you to if reset you, it, if you reset, you spend two hundred bucks and you reset your odometer and you sell the car for two thousand dollars more, you, you're eighteen hundred dollars ahead until exactly. you until you get caught. Exactly. Right. And you you saw a number of like four hundred and fifty thousand cars in the U.S. Yeah, the national um, who was it? Yeah, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration said they estimated four hundred fifty thousand mile or excuse me cars. Yes. Had reset odometers on them. On the road today. Yep. So that kind of came up last week when we talked to the guy who has the used car lot, uh, kind of the microcosm of the used car industry, our, our, our friend uh, Jim Brooks. And we talked to him about it. And he, well, it only happened uh, the day before we had talked to him. So he was unaware of the new rules that come out beginning January 1st, uh, uh, taking a tighter control over these things. And he said that he didn't believe it was much of a problem anymore because of things like Carfax and other things. He didn't seem to understand, not understand is the wrong word. He didn't seem to think that it was a problem in his industry. Right. Apparently it is. <laughs> I think it is, yeah. Like the, to, to uh, help protect yourself, yeah, Carfax report. Yes. Inspection records. Yes. And uh, simple things like wear on the pedals if it's a newer car. Yes. If the pedals are all worn out. But, you know, smart thieves. Replace them too. Find a way, so, yeah. Uh, original tires, if it's you know low mileage on a two-year-old car, should have the original mile or car or mm -hmm. tires on mm -hmm. it. And if there's any loose dash parts, but within modern electronic, they don't need to even touch the dash. Yes. Th these tools, electronic tools, all go through the uh, like onboard diagnostic, like robotic uh, surgery. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> um, what surprised me, and this is maybe the way I posted the story, is that. You know, I found a nice image of, a, of, of an odometer. I wrote some words, and I thought, boy, people would be really interested in this. And I saw a couple of other stories, but it surprised me that it's been kind of underreported. And certainly the traffic on my site and one of the other sites I work for, one of the uh, RV Travel, and my site, you know, the Weekly Driver, that traffic wasn't much to it. I mean, it was okay, but I thought it would people would be say, oh, boy, you know, I better check this out if I'm going to buy a used car. But... So far, it didn't seem to be um, a public consciousness is not really there yet. Or maybe well, it's only it's only can end user consumers that are getting ripped off. Yes, and it's you know it's scattered out. That billion dollar loss is scattered out over a lot of people. That's true. And so each loss is a couple <clears throat> two thousand, three thousand, who knows bucks. It's not like people are getting ripped off a hundred thousand dollars. So in the eyes of the overseers, I guess it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. We, we were both read the story, um, and it didn't quite make sense to me how it's the new rules are going to be tightened. Uh, cars that are 10 years and older were going to be in the same categories they were, and cars that are 10 years and trucks that are 10 years or new, 10 years old or newer will have more strict. Is that did I understand that correctly? Well, I was looking. Uh, um, <clears throat> Cars most likely hit with with the odometer fraud are cars ten years and older, uh -huh. and then also newer cars that are lease returns. Gotcha. So okay. therefore, the uh, the lease people and the the dealerships they're getting ripped off 
Yes. If somebody, uh, you know, the mileage is set at 10000 a year and you actually did 90000 and you roll it back, <laughs> yes. they're getting ripped off. Well, we'll see what happens in 2021 with that. Um, but then they can sell the sell that car higher too. So are they really getting ripped off? <laughs> well, yeah. Where where does the yeah. where does it end? Where what? Who gets the? Basically, the public gets screwed, and, and everybody else well, gets buyer beware. Buyer beware. Sure. Um, well, that's that's it for our end of the year podcast. We've gone through the the news of the year. There was plenty of other stuff, but we we picked ten or eleven uh, topics to discuss. And uh, next year, I think next week, we're going to have a podcast with another vintage car collector. Um, and that'll be fun to talk. We all, both of us love, and many people love vintage cars. but And most of them have good family stories, which makes it even more interesting. So join us next week, our first podcast of the year. Happy New Year to everybody. And please uh, visit my website, theweeklydriver.com. We have a support button on the site now if you care to support us. And um, we'll talk to you next week. Bruce, happy holidays. Yep, you too, Dave. Okay, bye-bye.